Hello and welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. This is the quarantine version of Flight Deck coming to you from the home office on Long Island. And I hope everyone is doing the same, staying home, staying safe as possible as we battle this insidious COVID-19 outbreak. A shout out, first of all, to the first responders, the doctors and the nurses, especially here in New York, uh, doing an incredible job. You know, I watch the news every night and it's both heartbreaking and inspirational to see them in action. And we wish them the best as this battle goes forward. Let's turn quickly here to football. This is a great show coming up. We have Jets GM Joe Douglas. He appeared this week on the Michael K show on 98.7 ESPN New York. And we have some of the highlights of that coming up in the second quarter. He talks free agency and draft and some potential moves. You'll enjoy that. But for now, it is three weeks to the draft, believe it or not. And so let's focus on it right now. And the Jets, it's setting up as a very, very interesting decision, as it seems to every year. Right now, it looks like it's either O-line or wide receiver with the 11th pick. And I know this from just talking around uh, to people around the league. Joe Douglas is not married to taking an offensive tackle with the 11th pick. He will take the best player. He will not reach for a need. It's a need at offensive tackle. It's also a need at wide receiver. You could also say it's a need at cornerback, a, a need at edge rusher. They have a lot of needs. But I think it'll be either a tackle or a wide receiver. And, you know, it wouldn't shock me now if they go wide receiver. I mean, there are three guys who I think are in contention for for that pick, and it's Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, and Henry Ruggs III. And what makes this a really interesting decision is, you know, Adam Gase is a wide receiver guy. In fact, he, not so many people know this, but he actually played wide receiver in high school, and he coached it. That's how he cut his teeth as a coach in the NFL, was coaching the receiver position. When you have a coach like that, they tend to want guys uh, at the position that they are most familiar with. So uh, I think Adam probably likes what's being done on the offensive line, may feel comfortable enough there that they could get by with Chuma Adoga and George Fant as their starting tackles. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's nudging Joe Douglas to maybe go wide receiver in the first round. Now, what makes it really interesting is Joe Douglas is a former offensive lineman. He played it in college at Richmond, and that's his area of expertise. So I think it's just kind of funny that the two people most involved in this decision, the coach and the and the general manager, are basically their respective positions that they played coming up in the ranks or the positions that the Jets are debating right now with what to take in the first round. I think you're looking at four offensive tackles, with Wirfs, Thomas, Becton, and Wills. For me, and I'm still researching this by talking to scouts around the league, so as Bill Parcells always said, I reserve the right to change my mind. But right now, I think the two offensive tackles that I would rate higher than the rest are Tristan Wirfs and Mekhi Becton. Uh, just freakish athletes, uh, size, speed, especially with Becton and Wirfs. At right tackle, Becton's a left tackle. But I think the one thing you have to remember, and you've heard Joe Douglas say this a few times in his interviews, he's looking for versatile offensive linemen. You saw it in free agency. He signed a bunch of guys who can play more than one spot. I think that's really important to him. And so you look at Wirfs, 
primarily a right tackle, but he did start a couple of games at left tackle in his career. Some scouts think he's a better guard. He's never played it before, but I don't think it would be that difficult to transition. Becton started out as a right tackle, switched to left. Same thing with Andrew Thomas at Georgia, started at right, went to left tackle. Jedrick Wills Jr. from Alabama, pretty much just a right tackle. I'm not saying that eliminates him from the conversation, but it's just something to file away. Uh, but me, for my money, Werfs and Becton are probably the two best. If both of those guys are gone, I'm thinking I'm going to go wide receiver there. Judy is considered by many to be one of the better players in the draft. And it's, boy, it's it's a really interesting breakdown between him, Lamb, and Ruggs because they're so different. Judy is just such a, a craftsman when it comes to route running. He's in and out of his breaks at the top of the route. He just has an ability to separate where others may stumble. He's so smooth. Kind of reminds me, and this is my Syracuse background coming in here, uh, but reminds me a little bit of Marvin Harrison and just how smooth he was in, in and out of the breaks. Uh, Judy, the one thing interesting about him, 53 out of his 77 catches came out of the slot. Uh, he's not a huge yards after catch guy, but I think if you put him with a guy like Brashad Perryman, then you have the speed guy with Perryman who can go vertical and Judy could just work the short and intermediate. I think the Jets would be able to attack at all three levels of the passing game with a guy like Judy. Lamb is interesting because he's he's bigger, about 6'1". He's more physical. He'll win 50-50 balls. And he's great after the catch. He averages 11.3 yards after the catch, which is a really mind-boggling number. He just has this innate ability to run with the football. And it sounds simple, but some guys can't do it. He can. The one concern there, though, he comes from the Big 12 conference where they don't really play much defense there. And you always have to take wide receiver numbers with a grain of salt. Now, Ruggs, you know, Judy's teammate at Alabama, you know, only had 40 catches last year. So not a great body of work. But he's more than just a speed guy. He had only one drop last year, and he does go over the middle. He's not just an outside one-trick pony. Uh, just amazing speed, under 4-3 at the combine. You put him out there, it, it's probably the closest thing in the draft to Tyreek Hill. So you could imagine that kind of speed in the Jets' offense. And I hearken back to what Joe Douglas said at the Combine. He just talked about the importance of adding speed and dynamic player playmakers to the offense. So that's why I think you'd have to include Ruggs in the conversation at 11. Some people around the league might consider that a little bit of a reach. but uh, And it is a little bit of a projection because you're basing it more on potential than what he's already done. So Judy and Lamb would be the safer pick in my book, but uh, Ruggs is interesting. I will say that. Now, the bottom line here is I think half the Jet fan base probably wants offensive tackle. Half of them went wide receiver. I think let's just make it simple. I think they just have to pick the best player. They're both need positions. They could use either one for sure. If they don't get one in the first round, possibly get one in the second round. But just sip, let's just eliminate all the noise and all the distractions and boil it down to this. They just have to pick the best player. If it's Jerry Judy, fine. If it's Mekhi Becton, fine. The Jets have a severe lack of playmakers and impact players. If you can get one, you got to take them regardless of position. We'll be back.
with the second quarter. And welcome back to the second quarter. We're going to do something a little bit different in this week's podcast. Jets GM Joe Douglas appeared this week on the Michael K show on 98.7 ESPN New York. And he said some interesting things. And so I, I want to make sure you guys hear the best stuff from the people whose voices that matter. So we're going to uh, include a few Joe Douglas cuts here. And he discussed a lot of things that are going on with the team through free agency. And, you know, I think one of the things that has come up, a definite trend in free agency is all these one-year contracts. You could call the Jets the one-year wonders because out of the 15 players they've done deal with deals with 11 of the 15 are one-year contracts and really another three of those even though they're three-year contracts are basically one-year deals because they're easy escapes for the team after one year the only guy who really got a multi-year deal was center Connor McGovern so you know that was definitely a trend in free agency and so it came up uh when the guys asked Joe they wanted him you know basically to summarize the Jets approach so far in free agency yeah I think I think I've been uh, an open book in terms of what what we are really trying to address in terms of uh, positions. And I think the one thing that we wanted to do is be uh, financially responsible. Um, I, I, I can tell you that um, it wasn't our plan um, to do the amount of one-year deals. I think it's, uh, look, I think contracts are two-way street with, with the team, with the player and the agent. And I think, I think that's what the market dictated this year. Um, it just, it just worked out that way with a lot of one year deals. Um, but I know our plan was to address key positions and be responsible in doing so, so that it could provide us flexibility moving forward. You know, one of the guys who I thought, and I'll admit this, I was wrong. I thought he would be a cap casualty going into this was Brian Winters. Just making over seven million this year in terms of cap figure, coming off a tough shoulder injury that required surgery, his age. You know, I really thought he would be gone, but, uh, you know, there's been a lot of speculation by not only me, a lot of writers, but Douglas made it clear Brian Winters is not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, my, my stance on Brian hasn't changed, you know, from, from the combine when I spoke to our media. You know, he's, he's really the only guy, um, the only offensive lineman on our team that's returning, that's an opening day starter. Um, so, you know, we envision him giving it, be given every opportunity to, to compete for that spot. Uh, again, another guy that's, uh, you know, he's been, he's been an outstanding jet, you know, his level of toughness is, uh, through the roof and, uh, he's a great teammate. Um, so, um, you know, excited, excited to, you know, have Brian back for training camp. One of the players out there. Arguably, the biggest name free agent right now is Jadevian Clowney of the Seattle Seahawks. A lot of people thought he'd be scooped up by now. He's obviously not getting his asking price, which was originally thought to be about $20 million a year. ESPN uh, Diana Rossini reported just recently that he's lowered his price to 17 or 18 a year. And so, you know, the Jets are looking for an edge rusher. You guys all know that. We've known that for a long time. And so there's been some speculation. And, you know, there's been, a, I think, some misrepresentation of where the Jets stand on this. From what I understand, they've had one conversation with his agents and uh, they have not made an offer. I think they'll monitor the situation from afar, but I think it's highly, highly unlikely that the Jets are going to sign Jadevian Clowney. Now, when asked about Clowney, Douglas did a little dancing. Yeah, I'll say the same thing I said to the beat. Um, 
you know, we we've done our due diligence with every player um, you know, in this in this draft. I think uh, our football administrative staff, headed up by Dave Sosa and Nick Sabella, they've done a great job so far, kind of, kind of forecasting what the market has been. Um, you know, we uh, if the right if the right opportunity presents itself, you know, we're gonna we're gonna strike. Um, you know, I'm not gonna get into specifics on Jadavian or any conversations we've had. Um, but I mean, obviously he's been a dynamic player in the National Football League. Another big name that is kind of making its way through the rumor mill, you know, we've all been writing about it to some degree, is Trent Williams of Washington, the the great left tackle, uh, eight-time pro bowler. Of course, you know the backstory. Didn't play last year because he was disgruntled with the organization. So he's on the trading block. We know that. Everybody knows that. And there's been some thought that, you know, maybe the Jets would go after him. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the next significant move they make at tackle will be in the draft, you know, whether it's the first, second, or third round. That will be the next significant move. I do think there is some interest in Trent Williams, though. And the only way I think it would manifest itself is, say they go through the first round and do not draft a tackle, then I think... Maybe Joe Douglas picks up the phone on day two of the draft and says, hey, let's see if we could do something here. With the Redskins, you have to compensate them, and you have a player who wants a new contract. So there's there's two balls in the air, and it's it's tough to do those kind of deals. But I found this interesting when asked about it. Douglas did not rule out Trent Williams. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to have to be the right opportunity for us in terms of um, financial um, you know, trade, uh, what the trade's going to look like, things like that. But um, it's got to be the right opportunity for us. So I've never met a GM going into a draft who said, we hate our draft position, you know, it sucks, you know, we're picking X and we're not going to get any good players. You're never going to hear a GM say that. So when the guys asked Joe, you know, what he thought about the 11 position, somewhat of a predictable answer here. But, you know, he did offer a little bit insight on, you know, the position of being an 11. And so he'd share some thoughts on the Jets draft position. We'll see how it plays out. It's, it, I think I think the 11th pick, and you know, I'm sure we'll talk more about it as we get closer. But I think the 11th pick is a very interesting place to be. You know, I think um, you know, especially if there's a run on on uh, you know uh, quarterbacks or uh, offensive line or what. We'll see what happens. Um, but you know, we feel like there's going to be a really good player there at pick 11. So we feel like it's a good spot to be in this year. And we'll be back with the third quarter. It's mailbag time. Thanks for all the great Twitter questions and a really great turnout as usual. You guys are great. So let's start it off right away with at Corey Lynch NYJ. And his question is, I really have a hard time believing the Jets will go into the season with Jordan Jenkins and a bunch of no names at outside linebacker. This would be a huge mistake. What are your thoughts? Well, it's not an ideal situation for sure, but let me make a couple of uh, thoughts here. Number one, uh, Terrell Basham, I thought was one of the more underrated players last year. If you really study his pass rushing metrics, they ranked maybe the best on the team. And he played a lot. He played 53% of the defensive snaps, which is the exact same number as Jordan Jenkins. So he's not a big name guy, but you know he's not a terrible player. And it's also worth noting 
that the Jets do not use a lot of packages with four linebackers. In fact, according to Next Gen Stats, they lined up in four linebacker packages only 40% of the time. So you're right, Corey. Uh, not a great situation. I think they'll try to address it in the draft, but you know, they could probably get by with what they have. Next question from at Johnny Abracciole. And uh, I apologize for the mispronunciation, Johnny, but is there any truth to the rumors about the Jets being cash poor? Uh, some speculation in the media about that. I can tell you this. Uh, a couple of agents I spoke to said they were told by the Jets that there were some financial restrictions. I think sometimes we can confuse cash poor with operating on a budget and within a cap. Now, they spent $130 million fully guaranteed the previous offseason, and so it stands to reason, by the way, the most ever in the NFL free agency era, it should be noted. So it would stand to reason that a team is just not going to be able to spend that two years in a row. And they also went into this free agency period with only $50 million under the cap, which is a lot less than the previous year. So there were some restrictions. So it was partly cap, partly internal budget, and partly philosophy. I do not think the Johnsons are hurting and taking out loans to sign players. That is not the uh, definition of cash poor in this case. Next question from Andrian at uh, Andrian 16705270. Last year's disappearing acts were Avery Williamson, Quinn and Williams, and Quincy Anunua. What are the chances all three make the roster and contribute? Well, let's start with Qu- Quincy. Uh, coming off that neck injury, Joe Douglas said, uh, this is a quote, he said it's a big question mark on Quincy. So personally, I do not think Quincy will be on the 53 this year. I think they'll carry him on the pup list. They're paying him in excess of $6 million this year. That money's guaranteed. It's locked in because he's on the roster now. And uh, so I could either see him as a, as a pup player or if they part ways with him, reaching some sort of financial agreement. Uh, Avery Williamson is on the roster, much to the surprise of many. I would watch this closely. I think they're going to try to trade him at the end of the preseason, assuming he's healthy and assuming the other inside linebackers on the roster are healthy and performing well. I could see them try to get something for Avery Williamson. Uh, as for Quinnen, not an injury situation here. This is just about a, a young player who uh, has to develop a lot and quickly. He fell well short of expectations last year. I think he needs to get stronger in the weight room. And I wonder about that now with no offseason. You know, is Quinn and Williams working in, in a weight room? How is he, how is he getting himself conditioned for this season? Because he has to make strides both physically and mentally if he wants to reach what uh, is considered lofty expectations. Next one from at Edelberg Sam. Assuming the Jets take an offensive lineman with pick 11, can you see Joe Douglas trading back up into the bottom of the first round to grab a wide receiver? Great question. This is something that I've heard around the league floated out there. And yes, I do think it's a possibility. And let me explain. The Jets have uh, they have two third round picks. Of course, they got one from the Giants in the Leonard Williams trade. If they took that higher one, the Giant pick, which is 48, package it with their second rounder in the middle of the second round, they could move up into the bottom of the first round. Now, for instance, Baltimore picking eight, uh, 28th, a team that Joe Douglas knows very well, spent most of his career there. 
the Jets could trade the three and their two and move up to the bottom of the first round at 28. Then you're talking about a T. Higgins there or a Michael Pittman. So keep just let's file this away for draft day. And imagine if the Jets come out of the first round with a, a new offensive tackle and a wide receiver like a T. Higgins. I think that is something that is worth watching because they do have that ammo to make that kind of move. Next one from at Tom underscore Glancy. Based on what you know, do you think Jamal Adams is likely to be traded or extended? And if extended, when would that be post-draft? Uh, well, now there's rumors coming out of Dallas that the Cowboys are going to circle back and make another run at Jamal. You know, I don't know if that's going to happen. Certainly the Jets would have to get the 17th pick in the draft from Dallas to make that and then, and then some. For Jamal. So I think it's more likely that he gets extended. And as to when, it's not going to happen before the draft. I think Joe Douglas made that pretty clear this week. They're focused on the draft and free agency. I could see them getting into it later in the summer and perhaps trying to knock it out before the regular season starts. That'll be something to watch, though, because I do think those rumors are going to circulate once again as we get closer to the draft. And the last question comes from at Darth Zenos. Will the Jets regret letting Robbie Anderson walk for a mere two million? And considering they have no, there's no idea if or when there will be mini camps and training camp, uh, is the drop off with Brashad Perryman going to be greater due to the, to the lack of time developing chemistry with Sam Darnold? Uh, definitely a concern with Perryman. It's really a concern for the entire team, you know, with no offseason program the new guys in particular, are going to suffer. Now, one thing I'll note about Perryman, historically, does not get off to a fast start. In fact, he's had only nine catches in the month of September throughout his career. And in particular, he struggles when he goes to a new team, like he did with Cleveland and Tampa Bay. So uh, it's a major concern about Perryman, especially with no offseason. Uh, from what I've been told by scouts, you know, he's just a slow starter. It takes him a little while to absorb a new offense. So that's a definite concern in terms of chemistry. Now, as for letting Robbie walk for a mere $2 million, we don't know if it was a mere $2 million. Now, he's getting $12 million from Carolina in the first year. You're assuming that the Jets were offering $10 million this year. We don't know that. I believe they valued him as a $10 million a year player. But they could have been offering only seven or eight million this particular year, in which case you could see why he would leave. And it was I, I do believe it was more of a more than a two million dollar gap for sure. But the Jets obviously were willing to draw that line in the sand and they let him go. And we'll see. You know, Robbie's never been a fast starter either. He usually doesn't come on till November, December. I think they can live without him, depending on how they replace him either through the draft or more free agency. And that's the end of the third quarter. Obviously, this is a really weird time in the NFL. Teams are mandated to work remotely. So what you have with the Jets, Joe Douglas working out of his house, Adam Gase out of his house, coaches spread around, scouts around the country, all video conferencing in. I think this year we'll be able to call it the Zoom draft because that's how teams are communicating right now. So it's totally different. And so what we're losing, all the pre-draft pro days, the workouts, the top 30 visits to team facilities, those have all been eliminated. And 
teams can interview prospects on the video conference. They can do up to three a week with a player for no more than one hour each each episode, but it's different. It's not like bringing a guy into his your facility, having your doctors look at him, have a meeting, a bunch of people. It's it's totally different. But you know what? In some ways, it's not a bad thing because the players will be evaluated based on what they do in games in the fall, and that's really the most important thing because, as any Jet fan knows, we've seen the team make so many so many mistakes when they de-emphasize game performance and they put too much weight on these pro days, etc. For instance, I know this is going to be painful, but for instance, 2016, they picked Christian Hackenberg in the second round, obviously had a mediocre year at Penn State, but the Jets had this clandestine workout in State College PA where they brought their coaches, their top personnel people, they did it in secret, and Hackenberg looked good, had a good workout, had a strong arm. We all know he had a strong arm, but just couldn't throw straight. But they apparently didn't see that in this workout. And so they based a lot of their decision on that workout. And we know that failed miserably. If you go back to 2012, one of their worst draft picks, Stephen Hill in the second round, a wide receiver out of Georgia Tech. The Jets made a couple of mistakes here. One, they forgot that he didn't have that much production at Georgia Tech. He played in a triple option offense, which really didn't throw the ball. So you always want to be wary of taking a wide receiver out of a triple option offense. But at the combine, he blows up the combine. He runs like a 4-4. And for his height and weight, you know, it was a pretty incredible workout. But again, just a workout and not football. And then when he made his visit to the Jets facility, I know this from talking to Jet officials, he showed up wearing a business suit to the team facility for his top 30 interview. And they were just so impressed by that, that he actually showed up in a business suit, like a job interview. And of course, it was totally misleading. He was a poor player. He was very immature as a person and his career did not last very long. So you can't put too much weight on the stuff that happens in the spring. Uh, sometimes it's worthwhile to look at these games, these all-star games and spring stuff. But sometimes, you know, the answer, the signs are there and the team fails to heed them anyway. And the classic example of that, you go back to 1991, uh, the East-West Shrine game in California. That is where the Jets' top brass, Dick Steinberg and Ron Wolf who later would go to the Packers and become a Hall of Fame executive, that's where they fell in love with Brett Favre. They wanted to draft Favre. It didn't work out. Also in that game, Browning Nagel, another quarterback, and he did not play in that game. Favre did. Favre won MVP. Nagel, and not too many people know this, but I heard this from talking to some folks across the years, Nagel went out partying the night before the East-West game with Brett Favre, and apparently Favre was able to recover nicely the next day. Nagel, not so much, was under the weather and could not play in the game. To me, that should have been a red flag right there, but when the Jets missed out on Brett Favre, the coach at the time, Bruce Coslett, lobbied heavily to take Browning Nagel, Dick Steinberg, I think he regrets it. He He's acquiesced to his head coach. We all know how that turned out. A really, really bad decision. 
based on what they should have known from an all-star game. So this year we did have all-star games. We had the combine. We didn't have the workouts, the pro days, the interviews. Uh, but the draft goes on. We'll have it in three weeks. It'll be fascinating. It'll captivate everyone because it's the draft and we just love the draft. Want to thank uh, the Michael K show for allowing us to use some cuts of that Joe Douglas interview on 98.7 ESPN New York. Want to thank my producer, Jeff Scopin. And I encourage you to please rate and subscribe to Flight Deck. You can get it on the ESPN platforms, on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you find your podcasts. Lastly, and most importantly, stay safe, stay home, and keep listening, please. And we'll talk to you next time.